there. Uh, for those that are here, let's go ahead and stand. For those that are home, I want to encourage you to do the same thing as well. Galatians chapter number 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 7, read verse 8, read verse 9. These are familiar verses to us all, but I believe there's some, uh, some nuggets in here that will help us during this time. Gold nuggets, Miley, not chicken nuggets. I saw her head look up, and I'm sure she was thinking about McDonald's. No, I think there's some good spiritual gold nuggets we can mine out of here that will help us and encourage us during this time. Verse number 7 of Galatians chapter 6, the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of, his, of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. Lord, bless our few moments together that we have in your word. I pray that it would change us. And that, Lord, it would help us focus in more on you. And, Lord, help us to focus in more on relying upon your word, Lord, as a, a sustaining force during this time. Speak to us tonight. I pray you would give us liberty. Help us to say what you'd have us to say. And bless the time of invitation as we have opportunity to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 are some of my favorite verses because they're very emphatic, and there's some emphatic truths in here tonight that we as God's people need to pull out and to apply to our lives. The Word of God is not a buffet for us to go and pull out what we like uh, or pull out what we want to apply to somebody else. It all applies to us, and there's some very emphatic truths in here that I believe will challenge us and help us during this time that we're a part. Uh, and I want to open with an illustration tonight of something that I've seen a lot of lately. Uh, as we look on social media and see a lot of our people are getting out, they're planting flowers, and even several of our people have seen are preparing their gardens. They're plowing up their ground and uh, preparing to plant seeds. And right now, with a, a food shortage kind of being in a little bit short supply, uh, gardens definitely would not be something uh, hurtful for all of us to get involved in and planting something there in the backyard. But I'm watching a lot of our people that are out there and they're planting, uh, and I know what it's like to plant a garden. I haven't planted one in years because time has not really allowed us to grow one, but my wife and I first got married. We started planting little gardens. We thought how awesome it would be to save money by planting this stuff, and we are just going to save tons and tons of money by planting all of these squash and tomatoes and all of these other things, and after a while, we just gave it up and decided we're going to go with Del Monte or some of that fresh stuff out of the grocery store because there's a lot of work that goes into planting a garden uh, in order to achieve being able to pick something down the road. Uh, anybody can go out and plant something, but if we expect to pick something down the road, we're going to have to put a lot of work between the planting and in the picking. Now, it's not just a time of waiting. Uh, if you've ever had a garden, I'm sure many of you that are watching tonight, you've had gardens before. And if you're ever going to reap a harvest or have a good harvest between the planting and the picking, there is a lot of work. As a matter of fact, there's probably more work involved between the planting and picking than the planting and picking combined because, you know, planting is not that hard. It's like starting a diet. I mean, that's very easy, isn't it? We just say, I'm going to start a diet today, and uh, it's harder to maintain than it is to, uh, to keep it going. And, and then picking, it's not hard. Uh, I think we all remember the story of the little red hen. Everybody wants to be there for that part because that's when you get to uh, partake of it. But it's the in-between period that I want to look at tonight. Right now, as a church, we are in that in-between period. 
Uh, we've seen God do a lot of wonderful things here at Central, uh, not just in the past few days and weeks and months, but in years before. God's done a lot of wonderful works here, and a lot of good things have been planted here. Uh, but there's a lot of things that have yet to be picked yet. There's a lot of things that have yet to be harvested yet. And we as a church body are looking forward to picking the fruit of all that God desires that we have if we're willing to put the work in. But oftentimes we lose our crop in that middle section of time. We're not maintaining the things that were planted, and therefore we will not be able to pick those things. We've got to protect what is growing, and that's going to be the key thought tonight as we're looking at this uh, passage of Scripture and keeping a good thing growing, keeping a good thing growing. Right now, keeping uh, the things that God has already planted in our heart and God is already doing in our heart, keeping that going is going to be difficult. Uh, seeing it through to have fruit is going to be difficult because we're not together. Uh, we're not having that regular time of scheduled worship. And accountability goes out the window. Discipline goes out the window. And if you're not careful, a lot of the things that God has planted in your heart and have begun to grow and that he desires to produce fruit will go by the wayside during this time. Many years ago when I was uh, pastoring not too terribly far from here, uh, one of the dear men at our church was always one to put out a good garden. And he would plant all kinds of good stuff, and throughout the year, we would get different things from him, and my wife would put them in the freezer. And uh, he told me that he was having trouble with his deer. And he says, look, I, I put all of this work in, I've plowed the ground, I've put in good seed, uh, and they're growing, and then here comes the deer, and in one night, the deer mow them down. And he says, there's no way that I'm going to reap a harvest if I can't keep what I have right now and keep it growing. And so here's what he told me he was going to do. He says, I'm going to sit out there and camp out in my garden, and I'm going to watch out for these deer, and I'm going to shoot them. And I said, well, brother, be careful, because it's not deer season, and I don't want you to get in any trouble. And Sure enough, one morning about 4 or 5 a.m., I get a phone call, and it was this dear brother. I won't call his name because I don't want him to get arrested. I don't know if the statute of limitations is up yet, so I don't want him to get arrested. And he says, you got a good skin and knife? I knew I was in trouble as soon as he said that. I says, why? He says, well, I got this old truck out here in my garden, and he says, it's an old rundown truck. It doesn't run anymore, and so I camped out in that truck. And lo and behold, here comes this large doe walking through the garden. And sure enough, she started eating on my peas. He said, so I let her have it, and now I want to let you have it. And I was a little bit conflicted, Brother Bo. I wasn't quite sure if, if that was like contraband. Could I be arrested for, you know, aiding a bed in someone? And, and so I'm not going to tell you whether I picked it up or not because I don't want you to turn, turn me in. Uh, but here was the deal. If he desired to reap a crop from what he had planted, the only way he would pick what he planted was he had to protect what was already in the ground. Now, folks, I believe that each and every one of us here tonight, part of Central Baptist Church, all of those that are watching here, God has sown good seed in our heart. There's things growing in our heart. There's things growing in our family. There's things growing collectively within our church. And God desires that we move forward together, being engaged together, producing fruit to the glory of God. But here's the problem. If we can't guard what's growing, and we can't keep a good thing growing, all the wonderful fruit that God desires we have will go by the wayside during this time of in between the planting and the picking. We see this illustrated in Matthew 13. I'll not turn there, but you know the story well where good seed was sown, but the Bible says, while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. 
So the, the men did a good work and they did their time and they planted good seed and they're expecting a good harvest, but the problem was they did not guard what was growing. And in order to keep a good thing going, you're going to have to guard it or else there's no chance we will reap if we can't keep what we've already gotten. Illustration oftentimes, I've used it, I've probably used it here, but to me it's the best illustration for keeping a good thing going and keeping a good thing growing. Happened in September 18th of 1787. The Constitutional Convention uh, met together to frame this country and to give the structure for which this country would live and operate on. A lady by the name of Mrs. Powell came to Benjamin Franklin and asked him, well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? His answer was quick. He says, it's a republic if you can keep it. He was telling her what we have wrought in this place and what we are planting in this place and what we are desiring fruit to come from this place is a republic, but you will only have that fruit if you can keep it. And we see even right now, just a little over 200 years later, we are fighting right now to keep that republic. I'm going to tell you, if we don't put in the effort as Americans, all right, as Americans to keep what they wrought on that day, then we will lose it. And the fruit of the wonderful country that we know as the United States of America will cease to exist and will cease to produce, and our children will never know what it was and what they could have had because we didn't have the courage to keep it. Now, it's the same way with a spiritual fruit. If we don't have the courage to fight to keep it and to guard it, we will not keep a good thing growing here at Central. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, 8, and 9, Paul is challenging the church at Galatia about this very thing, and we see some distinct steps that need to be taken. I just want to give you this, try to keep low-key, more of a Bible study. If Brother Jim was here, he's probably frowning at me. He's probably frowning on the live stream for calling it a Bible study right now, but I'm going to slow it down just a little bit. I want you to chew this up because you are going to need this, and I am going to need this during this time in between what's been planted and what we desire to pick. So there's three particular areas that we must guard against during this time. The first is, in, is verse 7. Notice what Paul says. He says, be not deceived. Paul says, be not deceived. He's warning them that there is going to come a threat to what is growing at the church at Galatia, and that threat is going to come from deception. So the first thing tonight that we must keep ourselves from in order to keep a good thing growing here is we must keep ourselves from deception. Now, folks, I think a lot of times our definition of things uh, can be shallow. Here in the South, uh, we have slang. We shorten words down. We combine words. Uh, the people up north, uh, every time we go up north, they love just to hear us talk because we've invented a whole new language that has butchered the uh, grammatical system, which uh, we learn in school. But when we have our definition of the word deception or being deceived, sometimes we're very shallow in that, just meaning, you know, we were lied to. But here's the definition of the word deceived or deception, to be swayed or led away from the truth. Can I tell you one of the greatest threats 
to what God is doing and what God is growing in your heart, in this church collectively. Here we've had just over three full months of our theme on being engaged, and we've seen so many people be engaged. We've seen so many people getting involved, so many people's hearts being stirred, want to be a part to find the will of God for their life here at Central. And now we're in this interim period between what has been planted and what God desires we pick, and we're all going to be at the risk of being being deceived or being swayed or led away from the truth. This is something you're going to have to guard against while we're apart and while we're away. I told our our men in the men's meeting, one of my greatest fears is not the virus. Uh, I honestly believe that uh, if we'll do the best we can, uh, and we trust God, if we get it, we get it. If we don't get it, then we don't get it. But I told our men, my greatest fear is that this physical crisis will become a spiritual crisis. That during this time between what's been planted and what we believe God desires that we pick, that in between there, this time of, of being a separated and apart, we will do as Ephesians chapter 4, we will give place to the devil. I want to encourage you tonight, be careful during this time of being apart and being separated where we're not assembling, of not having a structured, disciplined time of accountability that we're together. Be careful not to get swayed or led away from the truth. You don't have to look very far in your Bible to find instances to see that since the dawn of time, one of the greatest threat to God's work has been deception. I mean, you don't have to look two chapters into the book of Genesis and you will see Eve and 1 Timothy tells us, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 14, it was the woman that was deceived. Now the man followed suit right along the way there with Eve, but can I tell you, they were led away from the truth. Now, folks, if we're not careful during this time of separation, this time where we're not assembling together, uh, if you don't guard what God has been growing, you will fall prey to being deceived. You'll be swayed or led away from the truth. I sent out a letter to our Sunday school teachers, and I mentioned this morning, many of you will be hearing from them uh, over the upcoming week as they prepare things uh, for their classes to stay involved and stay connected together. I'm excited about some of the things that have been pitched already, and I believe they'll be a blessing to us. But 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 11, I told them in the letter, the memo that I sent out to them, that we've got to be careful because the Bible says this, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Folks, we cannot be boastful of who we think we are and as strong as we think we are because the devil's had a whole lot more practice at this game of life than you and I have. I've said many times, if I practiced something for 6,000 years, I would probably be pretty good at it. And the devil's practiced deception for over 6,000 years. He's very good at it. Therefore, we should not be ignorant of his devices or what will happen. He will get the advantage over us. I hope that all of our folks come back together when it's time to come back together. But if you're not careful, during this time, you'll be deceived. You'll be swayed or led away from the truth. I was thinking about fishing. I had a couple of our men invited me to go fishing last week and was not able to go for either one of them. Just been kind of a chaotic world the last few days. And uh, I'll tell you something about uh, one of my uh, fishing secrets, okay? Take out a pen and pencil. I'm fixing to give you uh, one of my greatest fishing secrets. My greatest secret is simply this. I use a lure that works. When I go out there, my daughter's shaking her head. She's like, her dad is the wisest man that she has ever met. Ever met. When I go fishing, I try to find what lure works. 
I have a tackle box full of lures, and unlike my wife's, they're not all pink. And I'll take those lures out, and I'll throw one out a few times, and if nothing's biting on the top water bait, I'll take out a worm, and I'll put the worm on, I'll throw it out, it'll sink down a little bit, we'll bump it. And I'll just keep throwing things out until sooner or later I'll find something they're biting. And watch this, I know you're not going to believe this, as soon as I catch one with that, I keep using it. I don't say, well, I caught one with that one. I'm going to retire it and try something else. No, I'm going to keep using the same lure that worked. And can I tell you the devil's the same way? He's a pretty good fisherman. The devil's going to keep using the same lure that works. And so often what gets God's people on the hook and out of the will of God and ceasing from producing the fruit that God desires we have is the lure of deception. He sways us and he leads us away from the truth. Now, folks, we've got to guard against this and keep ourselves from deception. Paul tells the church, look at verse 7, be not deceived. Be not deceived. Can I tell you, when you read the Bible, the Bible tells us not to be something. That means there's the potential that we can be that something that the Bible's telling us not to be. So when he tells the church at Galatia, be not deceived, it means there is the potential there to be deceived. And folks, tonight, and for those that are watching at home, listen to me. If you think tonight that you're not in the temptation or have the potential to be deceived, you are already deceived and you've deceived yourself. I'll believe, I believe tonight that's probably one of the greatest forms of deception is self-deception. I told you this morning. I'd like to think I'm in, I'm in good health, and I'd like to think that I'm right on target with my weight and my blood pressure, but man, when I walked up that hill just yesterday, I realized real quick, that hill told me I was not healthy. But I can sit there and deceive myself and tell myself that I'm healthy and tell myself that I'm fine. Matter of fact, I went to the grocery store the other day to get a few things for my wife, and while I was there, I couldn't help but pick up a box of brownies. Now, somehow, I, can, I convinced myself because we're locked in and we're quarantined that it'll boost morale if we just ate some junk food. And I convinced myself it was a good idea. And I even put extra sprinkles of chocolate chips and peanut butter chips in on top of it. So how do you do so? I deceived myself. I convinced myself it was a good idea. It is possible to deceive yourself. If you're not careful during this time between what has been planted and what God desires we pick, you will be deceived or you may even deceive yourself. You'll tell yourself, I can go without watching the live stream tonight. I can go without gathering together and assembling together through live stream with my church family on Wednesday. I can go without spending time in the Word of God this morning or go without spending time in prayer. You know what you're doing? You're deceiving yourself. Because the truth is, as John 15, we quoted this morning, John 15, 5, without him we can do nothing. Why on earth do we think we can move forward on a good day? Forget a crisis day, but on a good day, what makes us think we can proceed forward in our life without God? We can't. If you're not careful, you'll deceive yourself. 1 John 1, 8, the Bible tells us this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Notice those words. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Bible's telling us it's possible for you to deceive yourself. And I'll be honest with you. I am capable of it. I am guilty of it. But I want you to understand that during this time between what's been planted and what God desires we pick in the future, you better keep yourself from deception, from being swayed, or else in the end it will cost you dearly. I think about Samson tonight. I think about David. 
I think about Solomon. I usually use those three when I am preaching to young men. You think about Samson, one of the strongest men that's ever lived. You think about Solomon, one of the wisest men who's ever lived. And you think about David, a man after God's own, own heart. The Bible says that all three of those men, as mighty as they were, and as used of God as they were, they all fell greatly at, at some time in their life. And can I tell you how they fell? They fell because they deceived themselves. When David knew that David should be at battle, that David thought, you know, I can tarry back here at home. It'll be all right. And David convinced himself and gave himself bad advice. Be careful during this time giving yourself bad advice. That's deceiving yourself. And deception will cost you the fruit of what God was already doing in your life before we had to be apart. So number one tonight, keep yourself from deception. The second thing, look down at verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Notice how emphatic that is. That shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now here's it, what's interesting is how these next two lock together with the first one. It says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. You know what that means? It means God's word is going to be true. The reason tonight that we should put our hope and faith and trust in what the word of God says is because the word of God is always going to be true. It is truth. But here's what happens. The reason we get deceived is because we start valuing what we think over what God has already said. Notice God said he's not going to be mocked. My word is going to be true. And so for us to transgress the word of God, it means we have fallen prey to the second thing. The second thing we must keep ourselves from to keep a good thing growing is to keep ourselves from disbelief. Disbelief. Why would we sow to the flesh if we honestly believe that of the flesh we would reap corruption? Why wouldn't we sow to the spirit if we honestly believe that we shall reap life everlasting. But the problem is we get deceived because of disbelief. We did not believe that God's word was true. I want to be honest with you tonight. In times of adversity and trial, it's easy to want to doubt God's word. In times of adversity, in times of trial, in times of uncertainty, it's easy to get to the place to where you want to doubt God's word. You could substitute doubt right there beside disbelief because they fall in line together. So what do you mean? Let me give you an example. Remember the children of Israel? I mean, you can see the church all over those folks, and we can learn so much from them. But for some odd reason, oftentimes we would rather repeat their mistakes than learn from them. The children of Israel, how many times God blessed them, how many times God worked for them, how many times the hand of God was mighty uh, upon them, and yet it wasn't very long after God did something great, they began to murmur, they began to murmur. You know what murmuring is? Murmuring is simply when you're doubting out loud. Murmuring is when they were doubting what God had already said. What did God say on the outset of the journey? We're going to a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know what that was? That was the fruit. 
He says, look, right now, it's just a seed that's planted. It's just my word. But sooner or later, my word is going to take the shape of a promised land that's flowing with milk and honey. God says, it's already prepared, all right? Just trust what I have to say. But they murmured. Murmuring is doubt, and it's disbelief. It's just doubting out loud for others to hear you. And I hate to tell you this, but it cost the children of Israel. It cost them greatly. They missed out, so many missed out on what God had promised, that promised produce, if you will, that could have sprung from what was planted from his word when he told them that he was leading them to that promised land. But they missed out. Why? Because of disbelief. I know it's easy right now to ask the question, where is God? I've been asked that many times, not necessarily through this crisis, but I figure it's probably been asked by many. Where's God in all of this? You've got older people getting sick and older people passing away and you've got the country on lockdown and you've got people that can't go to work and companies closing down. Where is God? And it's easy during times of adversity to doubt God. You remember what Gideon asked when Gideon is about to get the task of leading God's people into battle and the angel calls him the mighty man of valor. And he asked a simple question that I think we would, it would resonate with all of us tonight. He says, where be his miracles? He's threshing, wheat behind, uh, he's threshing his wheat behind the wine press to hide it from the enemy. And he's called the mighty man of valor. And he says, okay, if all of this, if God's going to do what God said he's going to do, then where be his miracles? He's like, why are we going through this? It's easy to doubt and it's easy to fall to disbelief during times of adversity. Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 58, the Bible tells us that Jesus did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. He did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. I want you to think about that in the realm of our illustration tonight. Something has been planted. God is working. God has something growing in the hearts of our people. God has something growing in the collective heart of our church. And God says, I want you to guard it and protect it in this time that you're away. Don't fall prey to deception and don't fall prey to disbelief. Because as in Matthew chapter 13, the Bible says, he did not many mighty works. There was not much fruit. They missed out on the fruit of God's blessing and God's work and God's hand upon their town. Why? Because they had disbelief. They fell prey to what you and I are going to be susceptible to during this time the same story befell Peter as Peter walked on the water God was working in his life and God was doing something through him that none of us have ever got to do walk on water and yet after he began to look at the circumstances around him now watch remember he got started right he got out there on the water things were going well and he was walking all the way to get to Jesus. There was a starting point and there was an ending point, And that's what Jesus desired. But the Bible says somewhere in the middle of getting out of the boat and getting to Christ, he looked at his circumstances. And if we're not careful, we're going to do the same thing. Right now, morale is up. I'm excited. I love watching all of the posts on Facebook. 
Uh, I'm sure they're watching tonight. The Grubs had the winner hands down with, uh, with their awesome socks. So, uh, Brother LaPaul, we need to get a trophy for those people uh, for the best one for Sunday. So you're the winners for today. Uh, we need to mail them, out, uh, mail them out a cookie or something after we sanitize it for doing that. But it's a blessing to me. It's an encouragement to see all of our people. Morale is high, and things seem to be good right now. But this is week one. This is week one. We've got a ways to go from getting out of the boat to getting all the way to Christ. We have a ways to go from what has been planted to what will be picked. There's a ways to go. Do not fall prey to disbelief. If we believe that God is at work and we believe God is still on the throne today, then let's keep believing that until this thing is over because this virus is not going to dethrone God. God's still where he's always been. And we can, as Elisha did this morning, be confident knowing that regardless of our circumstances, God is working behind the scenes. So number two tonight, keep yourself from disbelief, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. What is he saying? God's word's going to be true. God's word was going to be true before this virus got here. God's word is going to be true after this virus is gone. So let's not fall prey to disbelief. Or if you do, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on what God was doing behind the scenes the whole time, even through this virus. Remember when, Jesus, uh, when Peter was fishing all night with the disciples? Hadn't caught anything. Just a drought. And they're, getting, they're getting their nets in. They're cleaning their nets, and they're getting ready to call it a day. Nothing's biting. And Jesus comes along and tells them to cast their net on the other side. And Peter begins to explain to Jesus why that's not going to work. Now, as comical as that is to me, that he would look at Christ and tell him, your idea is not going to work. How guilty are we with that? How often do we, in our heart of hearts, we would never, we're too spiritual to utter the words, but we know in our heart we are questioning what God said will work. Finally, Peter, the light bulb flickered. We have a light bulb in our living room. Every once in a while, everything lines up just right, and it comes on, and then it goes off. It's kind of like the light bulb in my mind. I think the light bulb in Peter's mind as well. The light bulb came on, and he says, okay, nevertheless, at thy word, I'm going to do exactly what you said. The Bible says that Peter cast the net over the other side, and you know the story. They brought in so much that the net began to break, and they had to call their brethren for help. Now, imagine what would have happened if Peter had fallen prey to disbelief. They would have missed out on getting to pick what Christ told them in his word. He said, just cast it over there. And old Peter would have missed out on what he could have had because of disbelief. Job put it this way. He says, I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, think about that. You know me. I love food. I eat for fun. Job says, I esteem his word. I value. I cling. I hold to his word more than my necessary food. Food's come into question a lot lately. I was very surprised to go to Walmart and uh, there wasn't a whole lot left in the meat section. I'm a meat eater. I was forced to buy some spam. And the only good thing about the spam is my wife won't eat it. 
Uh, I got to eat it all. I had Spam omelets, Brother Bo. I was, Brother Bo, don't look at me like that. I know you're a real man. You like Spam. I had Spam omelets. I had Spam. I had fried Spam. Man, it's the only meat that we could find. I'm, I haven't got to tofu yet. I don't think we could do that. But I love food. We go to these stores and food is, is, is missing and we're beginning to panic. That there's not all the food that we normally desire to have. Imagine if we panic that much over being separated from the Word of God. Job says, I've got to have his word. I esteem it more than my necessary food. Folks, can I tell you something? In the end, we could do with missing a few meals. I'll raise my hand. We could do with fasting a little bit and spending time in prayer to God, but we cannot do without his word because if you get away from the truth of the rock of the word of God, you're being swayed by deception and disbelief. I'll give you this real quick before I give you the last point. I believe this morning we sang the song in times like these. I uh, heard that the other day and I wanted to go read the story behind that hymn and just a beautiful hymn story and have so much depth through it in comparison with a lot of the music that's out today. And uh, they told the story of the dear lady who wrote this song and her name was Ruth K. Jones. Ruth K. Jones was concerned about the state of the world. We were in the middle of World War II. Hitler and Nazi army and the Japanese military were waging war around the globe. Ms. Jones was at home completing her daily household task. She was burdened and stressed by the turmoil and evil in the world. She was moved by the reading of the words in 2 Timothy 3, 1. The Bible says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. She, she sat down with the pencil and paper in her apron pocket and jotted down the words for the song in times like these. You know, in one of the verses of that song, it says, in times like these, you need a Bible. Times like these, you need the Word of God. If there was ever a time we need to spend more time in His Word, it's right now. Because this is the only thing that's going to keep, keep us from deception and disbelief. And no matter what it says throughout this time, when we read Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, and we read that, and we're thinking, how on earth could this be good? So, you know, I don't know what God's going to do with this, but I believe it because he said it. If I get away from the truth of God's word, then I assure you there's no way I'm going to see myself, my family, my church through the end of this thing to the fruit that God was working with all along behind the scenes. So, number two, we need to keep ourselves from disbelief or doubt. And then finally, look down to verse number nine. Verse number nine gives us the last thing that I think is important to keeping a good thing growing, and it's more long-term. It says, and let us not be weary in well-doing. Weariness is something that comes over a prolonged amount of time, and uh, I don't know how long this is going to last. Right now, like I said, right now morale is high, and right now I'm excited how our people are engaged. We, we watch the numbers on how many logged in, how many of our people are paying attention, and we can see it when you log out, yes, and we keep writing down your name, and you're going on the bad list for logging off. No, we're not really, but it encourages my heart to see how many people are following along. But this is week one. This thing's going to be a long, drawn-out process, and there's going to be the temptation to fall to Weariness, And so the last thing that we need to guard against is to keep ourselves from discouragement and disappointment. 
keep ourselves from discouragement and disappointment. I think I just put uh, disappointment on the slide, but write down both of those because you're going to be susceptible to both of those during this time. The situation has been evolving uh, really for the last two weeks. I got ready to meet with the men on Tuesday night, and what a blessing it was that over 50 of our men came out, and we spread out in the fellowship hall, tried to get a good distance from each other, uh, but we needed to make a decision on what we were going to do for our church, and after meeting with our staff and our deacons, we met with our men. We might be unified together in making this decision to uh, move to a live stream service, and I printed up a, an itinerary for our meeting, and I walked into the meeting with a printed itinerary. The men had a copy on their seats, and before I could even go over the itinerary, new rules came down from the government that we went from 250 to 50 down to the recommendation of 10, which now in Hattiesburg is not just a recommendation, it's an executive order. This thing is evolving quickly. It's hard to keep up with what's going on. These things are changing, and this thing could last way longer than a month. I hope not. I look forward to seeing most of your pretty faces back in here. And for those of you that are not pretty, I look forward to seeing you anyway. But I look forward to seeing our people back in the choir and hear, hearing our children sing when we walk down the hallway. I love walking from my office in the morning, getting ready to get in the lineup to come out of the door and listening to the choir warm up. It's kind of like getting one of those free samples at Sam's. Uh, you know it's going to be good. I love hearing the Spanish church over there get fired up, and they're getting their, their singing going. I look forward to that. But it might be a while before we get back together. And so you're going to have to be, be prepared to guard yourselves against disappointment and discouragement that may come along this way. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel an account that, oh, I don't know how many times I've read in my life. I've been asked often, and many times, I've been asked many times in my ministry um, about discouragement. And I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever been discouraged. I've been disappointed more times than I can recall, but I don't know that I can honestly say I, I've been discouraged. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we read about David and his men returning from battle. As David and his men return from battle, they look over the hill, the horizon, they see smoke coming up from Ziklag, their town. They get to their town, they find it burned with fire. And as bad as the material loss is, they look around and their wives and their children are gone. The Bible says that the men wept until they couldn't weep anymore and they spake of stoning David. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just throw this in right here. I hope we don't get to the place to where this thing drags out so long that you want to stone the preacher and stone the staff. We go together, okay? You can't just pick off one of us. We live or die together in this thing. The Bible says that here's David. What a discouragement. What a discouragement. His men are speaking of stoning him, their leader. His wives, his children, the wives and children of his men, they're gone. What a discouragement. And what a disappointment. And for some, that would be the knockout blow. They would never survive the straits we preached about this morning. They would never make it through that treacherous place. But the Bible says that David didn't fall prey to it. The Bible tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, David decided that he was not going to die there. And I want to tell you something t tonight. I wish, I wish everybody could know what it felt like to be a pastor just for a little while. Talk with a pastor today on the phone. And I'm not saying you don't know how it feels. But I want to tell you, it's different than you think it is. 
I know that because I was a pastor's son, and I thought that I knew what being a pastor was like, and as soon as God called me to pastor, I was ready to take over the controls, and let's drive this thing. And, and then you begin to realize it's way more than you thought it was. And how my heart worries about some of our people during this time. I pray our people would get locked in and get all the way in during this time, that we wouldn't just be logged in on the live stream, but we'd be locked in spiritually, and that you would resolve, I'm not going to die in this in-between time. I'm not going to die between the planting time and the picking time. I'm going to survive to see what God was doing throughout this entire crisis all along whether it was the rapture of the church or whether it was to start revival in America because we're turning to him. And so we've got to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord, to keep ourselves from disappointment and discouragement that's going to come. I'm going to be honest. There's going to be a, I assure you, look, I'm going to get tired of preaching to eight and a bunch of empty pews. As much as it's fun right now, because some of you, you know, some of you are smiling at me while we're preaching. I appreciate that. As much as right now it's not that bad, it's going to get difficult. And the temptation is going to be to do what? Verse number 9, to get weary in well-doing. But I want you to understand something. If we get weary, we're going to faint. And we're not going to see what God was doing behind the scenes all along. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to keep a good thing growing. So how do we do that? Well, it's very simple. We've got to keep ourselves from deception. Don't be swayed. As odd as it sounds, one of the things that worries me is everybody's doing a live stream nowadays, even some uh, undoctrinal churches and unbiblical churches. And as you look on your phone, you see all of these live streams, and people are tuning into these, and they're watching these. And look, be careful. Be careful from being deceived don't get led away from the truth. Stand upon the word of God, all right? So be careful to get, uh, to get drug away by deception. And then be sure to keep yourselves from disbelief. What God says is going to be true in verse 8. And finally in verse number 9, to keep yourselves from disappointment and discouragement. And I'll tell you why. The same reason that David was able to pick himself up after he encouraged himself in the Lord, it's the same reason we can pick ourselves up anytime we fall in this in-between time to keep going that we might reap the fruit of what God desires. It's because 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says that faithful is he that promised. Faithful is he that promised. You know, I'm sure that I've repeated a lot of the mistakes of the children of Israel, but if there's one thing I would love to go back in time and tell them is that God did not bring you out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. You know what the wilderness was? The wilderness was the in-between place. It was the place that was in between where they were and where God desired to take them. And there's a wonderful study. I want to encourage you to do this in your spare time, not during the live stream. Do a study on the wildernesses in the Bible. You'll find that so many of the people that we look to as heroes, there's a wilderness in their life. Look it up. There's a wilderness. There's an in-between place between where they started and where God desires they finish. And you've got to make it through the wilderness. God did not lead Israel out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. And God has not brought Central Baptist Church this far to give us this place and these wonderful people and this great opportunity for us to die during a virus. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. 
God desires we make it through the valley of the shadow of death and out the other side to find the green pastures of what God knew was growing the whole time. It's my desire that we stick with this thing long enough and keep ourselves from disappointment and discouragement so that we could see that. Remember, 1 Peter 5, the Bible says, The devil, as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. We look in the book of Job, the Bible says that Satan was going up and down and to and fro in the earth. What was he looking for? He was looking for those that he might pick off in this interim period. So we better be sober. We better be vigilant. Or else we're not going to survive this time in between. And we're not going to keep a good thing growing. So here's the message tonight. We've got to keep ourselves from deception. Don't be swayed. Don't be swayed during this time. Stand upon the word of God. Stay inside the word of God. This is truth. This is solid ground. Keep ourselves from disbelief and doubt. I don't care what the death toll gets up to. Now listen, it doesn't matter what it gets up to. Do not let that make you doubt what God has said. Do not disbelieve what God has said in his word. Do not allow circumstances to rob you of the fruit that God desires we have through this time. And then finally, keep ourselves from disappointment and discouragement. And by the grace of God, we will keep a good thing growing here. And we'll survive this wilderness to see the fruit of what God desired that we pick all along. So tonight, let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a few moments. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want to encourage our families, gather around the couch, gather around the kitchen table. Let's bow our heads together as a church. And I want to give you a very special prayer request tonight, and and that is this church body. It's central. What a wonderful place that God's given us to come and worship and sing, come and fellowship together. Right now, we can't be together. Right now, we're in this interim wilderness area, this in-between area. And let's lift up our church body to Christ tonight. Let's ask God to keep a hedge of protection about us, to keep us from deception. Let's not be swayed. To keep us from disbelief and doubt, and to keep us from discouragement and disappointment of weariness that's going to come along this way so that we can all come back together and have a harvest of the fruit of what God desired we have all along. Let's pray.